Welcome to Makers Chat, a podcast community for creatives. I'm your host, Danielle Kaminsky, artist, maker, and educator from Spartanburg, South Carolina. Join me as we share our stories and explore the topics that are most important to creative entrepreneurs and makers. This episode of Makers Chat is brought to you by the Makers Framework, my comprehensive online course for handmade business owners who are ready to grow their business to the next level. This week, I want to invite you to join me for my free makers class where I will teach you the four-step framework to build a profitable handmade business. This is a class for anyone who is looking to take their craft to the next level. So you'll find the link in the show notes. Please go sign up for that. And I can't wait to see you inside the class. All right, everybody, welcome back to Makers Chat. I'm super excited to be here this morning with Ashton Zager from Ashton Zager Fiber Arts. You've probably heard me talk about her a lot. I buy her kits all the time. If you ever follow me on Facebook, you know I talk about them a lot and use them a lot. But um, welcome, Ashton. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we've already established you're a fiber artist. But if you don't mind, just tell our audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, what your business looks like, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Ashton. I live in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, Originally from Texas, we moved here a little over eight years ago. I am married to my husband, Casey. We have two little boys, Louie and Hank. And yeah, our business is I make weavings and we also sell weaving kits, specifically round weaving kits for now. Um, My husband left his job to join me a little over a year ago. And so now he handles kind of all the manual labor of making our kits and he also handles shipping. And he also has a million other little details of the the business that are hard to list out because it just is. but yeah, that's kind of our roles within the business, and we love what we do, and um, we love the people we get to introduce to round weaving, and um, yeah, there's probably a lot more I could have said there, but we'll cover it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, we'll get there. Um, so how long ago exactly did you start the weaving business? So I started weaving like December of 2014. Yeah, we've been married um, like a year and a half at that point. And I pretty quickly started selling, which I think is not abnormal that you you start weaving and then before you know, you have more weavings than you can, you really want to keep. So you just start selling them naturally. It just kind of happens that way. Um, I don't know, probably six months in, I started selling them. I probably shouldn't have. I probably should have waited a little longer for my craft to develop, but I just did. I'm pretty um, naturally business inclined. I literally always have been. I was that five-year-old with the lemonade stand, which is not weird, but I had like a song. I was telling people it was to raise funds for my college education. Like I was a seller from the (laughs) And um, yes, anyway, they started selling probably six months in. I would say that the business became more serious about two or three years. And it was when my younger, my older son uh, was about eight months old. So this would have been May of 2016. Um, Yeah, so about May 2016 is when it became more serious. I left, or I'm sorry, 
2017. May 2017 is when it became a little more serious. I left my full-time job, partly to stay home with Louis, who was eight months old. I just wanted more time with him. And then partly because I really had this dream of making fiber art be a real thing for our family. And it was not really much of anything. Like I made some sales here and there. Um, I, I hadn't started teaching yet. It was just something that I did. I had done a couple pop-ups, um, but it was very much still a hobby. There was no reason for me to believe that it could be a legitimate business because it wasn't producing in that way at all. Uh, but I was just going to go for it. So it's been a little over four years of really, really pursuing it. Um, and yeah, a little over a year of it being our full-time business. So that's a, a shortened version of the timeline of this whole thing. I know what that feels like. It's like, okay, I'm supposed to tell you about the past five years that felt like a decade in, in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And like all the miles, it's like, well, there's so many levels to like how this thing started. Like this thing, right. this part started here and this part started there and this part started there. And, you know, it's just not a simple answer. <laughs> and I know that when, when your social media kind of really took off, it, it was, mm-hmm. it was a really hard time, right? That kind of happened around the same time you lost Hank, didn't it? Yeah, ish. It was not exactly. It was more earlier that year. So like spring okay. of 2019, um, that was, I don't know, a year and a half, two years into like really pursuing it with my kids. Um, and I was about 5,000 followers on Instagram, like January, 2019. No, no, no. I'm sorry. That's when I hit 10 K. I remember specifically, cause it was like new year's. Um, I hit 10 K because I got to swipe up. That is a memorable event. Um, and I started doing this thing called the pinners conference, um, which I'm sure we'll talk a little more about, but I did my first pinners conference, April of 2019. And then I did another one in September. And um, we came home from that trip. And that next day is when um, he passed away. So that did um, like further boost my social media, but it wasn't nothing before that. It was kind of already on the way. And yeah. Um, and again, you can answer this as much or as little as you want, but what was that like? I mean, did it feel like you were under a magnifying glass with everybody just watching you grieve? That's such a number one. I'm just so sorry, you know, that that happened, but grieving in in public, you know, it's just such a private thing and it's such a hard thing and it never ends. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it comes at you in different ways. What was that like? Did you feel like you were being watched by everyone? Yes. Um, Yes, I felt like I was being watched by by people and there were definitely aspects of it that were uncomfortable, but there were a lot of aspects of it that weren't. Um, We, I announced Hank's death on social media and it went nutso, which was a little unexpected. And I announced it within hours, very much still in shock. Um, It was which probably sounds strange. And I did get a lot of comments of like, what person in their right mind could like articulate a story like that hours after her kid died. And I'm like, a crazy woman, like a woman who was literally in shock and had had to make the worst phone calls of her life and didn't want to make another. So she just put it on social media 
where it's going to travel the fastest. And, and that was just kind of it. Like that was as far as my line of thought was, is like, this is going to have to happen eventually. I'm just going to get it done. Um, and so I had this incredible outpouring of love and millions of people reaching out to love us and care for us and people affected by it and people grieving with us. And so in that aspect, it was a gift. It was a gift to to feel so much support and to feel that so many people cared. And, um, and just to, I don't know, to have a, a lot of people who cared to listen. Like, that's what you, that's what I wanted. I'm not going to say that's what you in generalize what people who go through loss want, but it was a gift to have people, to feel that people cared um, and to have ears that would listen. Um, I'm not always a verbal processor in the moment, but it is for sure like a further gift to me to be able to verbally process, like once I've internally processed and written it, like to be able to have a place to put it and to share and to maybe get feedback is a gift to me. Like that's therapeutic to me to, to be heard, to, um, be able to process with lots of people. Um, and so I, I don't want to say that like it was incredibly overwhelming to feel watched or to feel or to be grieving in front of people because it was also very much a gift. Um, I I definitely had a handful of moments like in my real life where like I remember one time and it was a little scarring for me. Um, just a couple weeks after he died, I was at Chick-fil-A with just Louie. It was one of the first times that I'd ventured out of the house with only him. And we were like looking for a table and a woman stopped me and was like, I just had to come give you a hug. I know you guys this story and I'm just so sorry. And she was crying. And there was, I had a moment where I was mad because I was having this normal moment with just my son. and. From my perspective, it was like she interrupted my normal day, like to bring that back in, even though that's it's not like I wasn't thinking about it because I'm always thinking about it. <laughs> but um, there was a moment of anger, and then and the, very quickly it was like she didn't decide to approach me. She had an emotional reaction. Like she saw me. She cares about us. She's affected by our story. She had an emotional reaction. She wanted to hug me. That's not a bad thing. She's not a bad person. Um, even though it made me uncomfortable, even though I didn't like it, I can have compassion, um, that she had that experience and it did make me, and kind of still today a little bit makes me nervous to be out in public, nervous to meet new people. I'm often wondering, like, is anyone recognizing us? Um, who already knows who I am, which sounds a little big headed, like I'm this famous person. I'm not a famous person. I'm very aware of that. But I have had experiences where I was recognized where, like, you know, the the horror of our story interrupted a normal light moment. And, and those experiences were not pleasant, but they do just come with the territory. And so I can have compassion for the fact that I choose to do this in front of people. I choose to express it in this way. And that comes with certain things. It doesn't mean I have to like it. Um but it does mean that I am understanding um, that I did. It's kind of crass, but I used to say it's like I'm a circus act and 
I am on display in the title is The Girl with the Dead Baby, which my husband hates when I say <laughs> that's a little bit what it feels like is is like I I put myself on display and people want to watch and some of those people are watching out of love. Some of those people are just watching like out of some weird voyeurism, like they don't care. They just are like in shock of like what it what does that look like? Let me be nosy. Let me ask questions that are really inappropriate that has happened and, and probably will still continue still continue to happen and that's been a thing to navigate of like no I'm not answering that. Like no you don't get to know that information. You can have what I've shared. Um because that's kind of like you reached your hand in the cage. <laughs> exactly. I did put myself on display or I do when I cop on the internet. Right. That doesn't mean you can reach your hand in the cage. It means that you can see what I've offered. Um but whatever. No, I totally yeah. get you. I totally get that. Um yeah. <laughs> and I understand the sentiment of people hating when you when you say that because I'm I'm the same way. I get slapped at sometimes. Very, very different stories, obviously, but even still, you know, if I go to a baby shower everybody knows me and they know my story and they're watching me and, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm, I'm like, nobody wants to hear the girl whose baby died talk about her pregnancy. And they're just watching you while everyone else talks to see how you respond. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that. It's a much smaller scale though. So I know you, you do, you have a very large audience and I get what you're saying. I know you don't feel famous necessarily, but a lot of people right. do recognize you and they know your story. And, and so, I don't live in a huge town too. That's the other right. thing is like Asheville. Yeah. It's kind of a well-known city, but when you live there, you realize it's not that big. Right. And so like if I still lived in Dallas where I'm from, I might not feel that quite as much, but there's I don't live in a giant town for me to like feel like I can blend in a little more but yeah yeah definitely definitely um so do you spend a lot of time when you're deciding what you want to put out there do you I mean do you do you spend a lot of time on that or do you just kind of go with your gut and if it feels right you post it and you ask questions later if necessary kind of both (laughs) a little bit of both (laughs) yeah I um it, it yeah, both. I <laughs> sometimes, and in the beginning, which I think is normal, I just had so much to process and I had so many thoughts. And so I would have 10 posts planned out ahead of time, which sounds so like gross and, and unhuman to like have planned out these processings of my grief. But it was, I just had a lot of content naturally pouring out. Um, And, and it didn't feel like content that was like business strategy strategy. It was just like, I was just, I'm naturally like a journal or a writer. And I would just have a million essays that I could post if I wanted to, but anywho. So then I wasn't spending a ton of time because it was just, I was doing that already. I was writing already. Um, Nowadays it feels a little trickier because those, those epiphanies do come less often. And, um, I think I get, I'm overthinking it more nowadays. And so it's like, I am spending more time on it sometimes, but not in the same ways, in different ways. I'm overthinking it. I some days feel self-conscious. In the beginning, too, is like, I felt that it was very understandable for me to be talking about this. We're about to reach the two-year mark. 
and then I'm starting to get self-conscious that people are um, tired of hearing from me about this, tired of hearing the same sad stuff from the same sad girl. I know that some of that is lies. And also, I know that at the end of the day, I don't need to care about that. I can show up as whoever I am in that moment, and I'm not going to be for everybody. And um, not everybody is going to be able to handle what I have to share. Some people are going to see my name and say, oh, I can't. I can't read her stuff right now. I can't, I, I'm not at a place to pack. And to that, I'm like, bravo. That's great. Don't. Yeah. You don't have to no, go there with me. That's always good. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I get it. And I get the whole time passing thing because it, and yet it's always going to be something that's very important to you. The question is just how often you want to, to talk about it. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it feels like time passes for everybody else. And yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's, I've also come to a place where, um, I don't know. It's like, I just, I don't have to be validated by everyone all of the time to feel that I have fully processed the moment, if that makes sense. Like it, I am more comfortable with this being a solo experience. Um, And that's not to say that I was like not comfortable with the fact that it was mine in the beginning. It just felt natural to share more. And sometimes now like an experience happens a moment happens a thought happens and like I'm satisfied by just writing it down or by just talking to someone about it and I don't always have that desire to share it and so yeah I I guess now more than ever I'm I'm now like well what the heck else am I about like what else do I talk about and I do want to share like other sides of me. I do want to be funny some days. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm going some of that. Because you're a whole person. <laughs> I am a whole person and I always you're a whole was. Person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that doesn't yeah. define you just because it was a big part of things. I totally get that. And want yeah. the lightheartedness and yeah. makes sense. It makes sense. So we are going to come back to waiting. But while we're right here, I do want to ask because you are like a major mental health advocate. I love mm-hmm. your Instagram stories. You're always very open about the fact that you are a, a therapy cheerleader and you encourage anyone and everyone that needs it to, to get in there, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, have you always been that way or have your experiences of the past few years just really amped that up for you? Yeah, I've always been that way, but it's like my experiences in the last few years kind of gave me um, more, um, gosh, the word. It has left me more of a reason like to, to share about that. I mean, the first time I went to counseling was when I was 19 and my parents were splitting up and a dear friend <laughs> just handed me a business card and was like, you need to go to counseling. Here's a person and I'm going to pay for your first three appointments. And I just kind of did it because someone was telling me what to do. And that felt nice to have some instructions because I was obviously a mess. Um, and so that was a very memorable experience. And like I said, someone else kind of decided for me to venture into that. And it was someone I love and trust. And so I just kind of did it without thinking too much about it. I was in a in such a broken place that I didn't really have pride to be like, oh, I can handle this on my own. Like I just dropped out of college. I was struggling to get out of bed some days. Like I was like, it's very obvious I need help. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that happened, um, 
when I got pregnant with Hank, I jumped into counseling again because I already had a great counseling experience. I already experienced um, that when you're carrying something heavy, it's a good idea to just have at least a, a, a person that, that might just be a blank walk to like bounce thoughts off of and to not just stay right here in my head. Um, that's a dangerous place. <laughs> I can't get it out. Um, so those are my two previous counseling experiences um, that, I don't know, it, it had normalized that kind of experience for me already. And so I very quickly wanted to jump into counseling after Hank died because it was just like, yeah, I don't know how to do this. So I'm going to go chat with someone and we're going to figure that out together. Um, and yeah, and, and I had all of these eyes. And, and so I was going to talk about it. I was going to talk about the benefits of it and try to normalize it because I wanted that for other people, just like that one friend wanted that for me in the beginning. And that, and that was such a gift that has changed my life. And um, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. I think it's awesome that you talk about it like that. So talk to me a little bit about Pinner's Conference, because that is a big part of, of your business model from what I can tell. Yeah, yeah, it is. We love Pinner's Conference. They approached me December of 2018 um, and asked if they would, if I wanted to come be a vendor at their Atlanta location, um, which I had never heard about it before. I was like, Pinner's Pinterest? And it's like, it's, it's not, it wasn't started by Pinterest, but it's like inspired by Pinterest. It's Pinterest come to life is kind of one of their taglines. Um, so they invited me to come to be a vendor. And when I got on the website, I was like, oh, you guys also teach classes. You have any spots open for me to teach a class? And they're like, oh, we didn't know you were a teacher. We just like work. And so I um, did my first Pinners conference April of 2019. And it was something I had done craft stuff before um but I hadn't really ever done it, anything like that it is like it's the size of like five lows for one like it's a giant auditorium there's hundreds of vendors um and then they also teach classes like every hour for two days and um those classes are everything from stuff like mine I'd say fiber art like the round weavings that I teach um which I now teach more than round weavings at printers conferences but it's probably at the higher end of like skill when it comes to the workshops that they do they also do just like lecture-based stuff like how to how to throw a kid's party like how to make a good charcuterie board how to everything everything that you would find on Pinterest um fashion lectures and then there's like painting a wooden sign, like some more simple crafts that are not intimidating. Um, that's what, it's not on the higher end of skill level, but it's maybe on the higher end of intimidation level. And that's partially just because it's maybe a little less popular than painting a wooden sign or, um, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's so, so many things that they yeah. have there. And it is a giant thing. The people that run it are amazing. We love them. Um, and it's been an amazing opportunity, like for my own personal growth and obviously for, um, just the growth of the business and meeting people and, um, yeah, we love it. We did, how many did we do last year? 
the last two years are blending into just one giant year, which I'm sure everyone is. <laughs> we did two last year. <clears throat> and by the end of this year, we will have done four. Yeah, we did Atlanta. And then at the beginning of October, we're going to Dallas. And then in November, we're going to Salt Lake City in Arizona. Wow. Yeah. So what you're saying is if I got an email that said, are you interested? I should say, yes, I am. Thank you. Yes. You should, you should email me and I'll tell you all of the tips for running a booth there or teaching a class there because it is unique. Like it's not like a normal craft show. There's a little different right. strategy to it. Like my first Pinners conference compared to my second Pinners conference were night and day because I didn't know what I was getting into. And I just kind of treated it like a normal craft show the first time. Then I learned and then I changed some things and my experience was totally different and I'm like wow that really didn't require much more effort I just knew what I was doing yeah so yeah fun so the Penners conferences that you were doing and I guess it was 2018 you said when you started those 19 2019 19 okay is that what and is that sort of what started the kits because that was about the time that I found you and it seemed like it was happening at the same time but I wasn't sure it was really right before that um I released my ebook leaving in the round um November of 2018 um yeah because it was not too long after Hank had been born I recorded it while I was pregnant with him so in my even like my fingers are really swollen and my voice is a little nasally because I was like literally seven or eight months pregnant in the summer um and yeah so I launched my kits when I launched my ebook but it was very slow rolling um I mean, I think we had pre-ordered the ebook and we sold 11 pre-orders and that felt amazing to me. Um, And it was amazing at the time. And also like sweet for me to think about because those numbers are not even close to the same now. Um, But yeah, I'd started my kits then. Pinners kind of helped the growth of the kits. And then really my true kit boom was January, 2020. (laughs) Like right before a pandemic. Um, January is weirdly like our busiest month. And I think it's just like Christmas money meets New Year's energy equals people start new hobbies and crafts. Right. And they join the gyms and they buy our weeding kits. January yeah. is our busiest month, which is awesome. That's cool. That's And also fun. exhausting, like coming off of the holiday season. I'm sure. It's, like, it's not over. You're going to have a yeah. break in March. <laughs> Everyone talks about, um, and this may be true for some retail stores, Everyone talks about the J months and they lump January in with that, talking about how tough it is. But that's not my experience. My experience is the Christmas rush goes all the way through January into the first week of February. Um, So January is just as busy for us (laughs) as Christmas and November. Um, It is. But, you know. Because also when you think about it, like the holiday season for makers really starts in like September or October. Like you don't now. What are you talking about? We gotta yes. start making stuff now. <laughs> yes, I just ordered uh, hoops to make ornaments to start making ornaments the other day. Um, yeah, because all of your shows are in November, maybe early December, and all of your sales are probably more late November. No one is buying Christmas presents mid-December. Not really. No, they're buying for themselves. Unless they're buying them for themselves. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're out now and they've gotten used to spending money. So they're, <laughs> they're shopping yes. for themselves. <laughs> yes. um, 
So with the kits, so I know you, I mean, you have both, obviously you create weavings that you sell and they're gorgeous and you tend to create on a larger scale most of the time. Is that, is that accurate or is that just what I see? Ish. I, I definitely create larger than my kits typically are. My kits, um, I started out with just eight and 10 inch kits. And then this year we started doing 14 inch kits in January. Um, yeah, I would say like for my round weavings, my average size is like 14 inches, probably the smallest. Um, normally, that's not to say I never make smaller, but yeah, but my custom work um, is typically very big because I don't normally just make giant weavings um, just to sell because they take so much time. And so it's a bigger gamble for me unless it's a custom and I already have a guaranteed sale of that. Um, I would love to one day just make giant weavings and, and feel confident in my, um, in my buyers, the people will buy it anyways, because I really love making large pieces. Um, but at the moment, it is not typically something I can afford to make the gamble on a lot. That is. Understood. I, I, I learned that lesson this past year because after I started doing all your kits and stuff, I'm like, I really want to do a big one. And I kind of got on a kick and I've got like three really big ones and they're in my store. And of course, they've been there forever because they have to be so expensive because they take so long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's OK. I like looking at them. So that's fine. They can hang out there for a while. Yeah. That's no big deal. <laughs> yes. I have a giant piece that I made um, like early 2018 because I, I was kind of finishing it while I was pregnant with Hank um it's like 50 inches wide and I never sold it (laughs) and I took I took it off the market at some point because it had been for sale for over a year and it was one of those things where I started it when I left my job to stay home at Louie and I finished it while I was pregnant with Hank and I was like this just feels like a really intimate time frame you think I have to keep this for myself there you go that's probably the biggest normal tapestry weaving I've ever made but I would make one again I get I get emails every now and then people wanting to commission one but then they have a price in there and I'm like oh never mind maybe later <laughs> yeah maybe later which I'm like yeah fine someone's gonna buy it yeah absolutely <laughs> it's, it's you know it's good and now they know and now when they decide that they have the time and the money to invest in that then they will approach you again yeah so what is, and you know, you do not have to share any details you're not comfortable sharing, but like, it just seems like you sell so many kits. Like, how many kits do you sell in a given month? It has changed. Um, so we've been in a pretty good drought. Um, May, June, and July. I have, I have hopes for August that we'll bounce back up. In January, we were averaging around 300 units a month. Um, but that includes my ebooks and that also includes like add on items. I would say we sell, at that point, we were selling between 150 and 200 pieces a month. Wow. Nuts. Nuts. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. And Casey is the one who is balling yeah. up the little yarns and all everything. The things, I don't. I don't really touch our kids anymore <laughs> past the, the production, past the planning and um, and then the fibers over to him. He does everything else, which is amazing. He's done really good <laughs> and really good at being fast because he's doing all of that while watching Louie. Like he has my old life where 
He is full-time parent during the day and sneaking all of this in during, you know, nap time or rest time or some. <laughs> yeah. So your time is mostly what? Honestly, the first half of my day is almost always administrative stuff. So writing the newsletters, planning the kits, purchasing materials, uh, all of the not so fun stuff, but necessary stuff, social media, taking pictures, all of the things that truly on average takes up half of my day. Um, And then the second half is waiting. yeah, we weaving custom work. Honestly, custom work is probably 60% of the weaving that I'm doing right now, which is great, great. that I that I have a continuous flow of commission work. Um, because like I said, that's guaranteed money, like when they reach out and they make the sale. Um, and then the other half is pieces that uh, will just be ready to ship. And I've been doing pretty long timelines on my commission work um, because I know myself and I know I will get in a rut if I'm only making commission work. Um, so I, I asked for like 10 to 12 weeks for commission work. And I'm like, I could knock this out in three weeks, but I have to make sure and, and make time for my brain to be thinking of new ideas and to have the time to be able to to jump on them when I have them. Like that's just the way that I have to keep myself energized and not burnt out is to leave space for fun and for play. Um, So all of my like made, not made to order, um, ready to ship pieces are that like it's the mental breaks. (laughs) It's, um, you know, I'm going to phone and I need to watch a movie (laughs) this afternoon (laughs) and just make something that has no pressure. Um, Because I really enjoy my commission work, but sometimes they feel a little more pressured because it's like, well, someone has already paid for this like someone is looking forward to this it's not just this like you know like anyone can buy this if you don't like it that's fine like I I want the customer to like it in the end (laughs) so yeah Yeah. no I totally get that because I'm the same way it's like you wait on pins and needles sometimes it's like do they like it even if they saw a picture of it and bought it Mm -hmm. it's still like I'm like waiting like yeah you're back I don't it's you know it's crazy but um, it's all irrational because my commission my custom customers are the best of the best like they are the people that are the most invested in my work so I really shouldn't have as much nerves about it because they're always the kind of people that I do I'm a people pleaser and you know (laughs) I get it I do I get it so um with your commission work do you like how specific do you let people get with their request because I would imagine, you know, to some extent, you want to be able to use the materials that you're already sourcing and not have to go hunt for new things. So how specific do you let them get with what they're asking for? Um, so I have three different tiers um, that I, people reach out, hey, I, I want to commission a piece. They might already know. They might be like, will you remake this piece that you just sold? And I didn't have an opportunity to sell. And those are obviously simple Um deals that we make it's just to remake but if it's if it's different if it's something new then I ask them to look through my Instagram and find things that they like um and I do that so that we have a picture to start out with and sometimes they send me four of my pieces and they're like I like this element of this one and this element of that one and the colors of this one and whatever but I do ask them to start with my work um and not someone else's work sometimes 
pushing them towards that is a little awkward because I'm trying to be like, I'm not making that person's peace, but you can do this instead. And I try to do that in a way that's like gentle yeah. and not saying no. But anywho, yeah, I asked them to look through my work and then I have three different tiers. So it's like monochromatic work, um, like my rainbow and gelly weed pieces, which my gelly weed pieces are like jewel tones. And then, and then the third tier is like totally new color palette. And those are priced a little different because they are going to require more energy from me. Um, so I let them get decently specific. Typically, once we've got to that part of the conversation, they probably don't have anything that's terribly different than what I've already done. They're probably not like asking me to put some sort of symbol in there or something else. Like because I've already set the tone, like we look at my work first. Yeah. Um, it typically goes that way anyways. So yeah, I, so it's almost hard for me to say like how specific do I let them get? Cause I'm like, well, pretty specific, but I'm strategic in how I'm like, you put up some nice guardrails for them so that you know they're yeah. staying within the realm of what you're comfortable with. Yeah, and that's you know to protect my energy. Like I need to make something that is within my craft. Like you, and that's why I say that my customers are the best of the best because I'm like the people that do end up committing to these price tags, you know, and they, we've gone through this process. They were there for me. They wanted my work, not just some fiber art. Um, that's why I'm naturally going to like steer the conversation and, and that's because that's all I want to do like I want you to want a piece of me not just a piece of a fiber work fiber uh, you can go somewhere else for that not to sound like rude or I don't know like a rat I'm like I just like I just know what works for me and I know I know that like situations where it has been someone who probably just wants a piece of fiber art typically aren't happy because they've typically made some sort of request that I've never done before and and that didn't end up being exactly what they had in mind because I can't help but throw my taste in like my style and like it's my hands my brain it's gonna look like me Absolutely. And it should. I mean, you know, you're you're yeah. running a business, but you're an artist. You have a brand, you have a style. It perfectly makes sense that you would want to keep your work in that realm. Because mm-hmm. if you start trying to do something like somebody else, it's it's just not going to feel right. And you don't mm-hmm. then want that circulating and that be what people know you for, because that's not what you do. Yeah, so. exactly. And I also don't typically go too far back in my work. Like I have someone on um, and I have people every now and then that will pull up a piece that I made in 2016. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't think I can make that piece. Because <laughs> I think I'd enjoy it. And and yeah. honestly, I don't think that I could do it well again. Like, I've just moved on. This is kind of where I'm at now. I can probably go as far as, like, two years back. But that's probably it. I've moved yeah. on. <laughs> that's cool, though. I think that that's really cool. Yeah. So... Coming up on the end of the episode here, I always like to wrap things up with a series of rapid fire questions just to get to know you a little better and have a little bit of fun. So you good with that? Yeah. Let's do it. If you could pick the brain of anyone alive today, who would it be? Oh, man. Oh. Okay, so I had two people come in mind. I'm just going to say them. My first is Nora McInerney, who is... A grief person, she runs a podcast called Terrible for Asking. Um, we've been acquainted a little bit, but I'm like, I just want to spend the day with Nora and ask her all of the life questions. And 
after so I do I'm somewhat writing a book and I am often wanting to ask her like because she's written books like that like she lost her husband she's written books about herself and about her grief process and like our stories aren't the same but I'm like that's similar to what I want to do and so I'm always like how did you decide where to go next in the story how did you decide like how to make this thing flow so anyhow I'd love to pick her brain um and she's such a kind person I probably could if I just had thoughts to ask uh, my second person I would say is maybe Marianne Moody um who's my probably number one cyber art hero I would just love to I don't know to 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 be inside of her brain I just find her fascinating and admire the structure of her business it is similar to like what I've always aimed for in that like she does dabble in everything she makes her own art she does commission work she sells kits she teaches um but she's so much more successful at it than I am <laughs> and I just love that I love that she didn't like sell out to in any one category she let herself right. have it all that's what I want <laughs> yeah um, so yeah. I got a good two answers there there you go yeah those are good answers okay so what's your favorite meal uh my favorite meal my favorite number one food is potatoes like a baked potato is my comfort food I'm having a bad day I'm having a sick day I want a baked potato that is what I'll say. That's so boring. I like interesting food too, but you asked for my favorite and that's what I'll yeah, say. <laughs> really, we laugh a lot. Uh, my favorite is a potato in just about any form. It can be yep. a baked potato. It can be a good French fry. It can be like yep. mashed potatoes. That I, I love, I'm with you. I love potatoes. I'm a, I'm a starch yep. fan. So, <laughs> you know. What's your favorite beverage? Water, which is so boring, but like I truly, I'm not, I'll enjoy a soda every now and then. I'll enjoy a tea every now and then. But I drink like a gallon of water a day and I want water all the time. I also love coffee, but I I don't drink as much water. I mean, as much coffee nowadays because I've up my water. I just love water, which is so boring. No, uh, that's great. Too. Does that make me sound more interesting? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that's great, actually. I, I love um, black coffee. I drink tons of black coffee every day, and I should drink more water. And I like water, and I don't know why. It's like there's some kind of strange mental block sometimes that I just... I don't like, understand people that don't like the taste of my water. My father-in-law is one of those people, and I just feel sad for him. You're missing something in your life. Doesn't like the taste doesn't of like your taste water, water specifically? No, all water. All water, okay. He rarely t- drinks water like he starts to stay with soda and coffee and I'm like how are you alive <laughs> how are you not all shriveled up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what's the last movie like, you watched um what is the last movie I watched we're big movie watchers but we never watched a movie in like a week we probably watched hook last Family Hook is one of Louis' favorite movies, which I love. He's in such a cute face right now, and he roots for Hook every time, <laughs> which I love. He also watched E.T. recently with my in-laws, and he loves E.T., and I haven't watched it with him yet, but I can't wait. I'm like, you just have to have to taste. He wants to be E.T. for Halloween, and I'm like, I am obsessed with you. That's amazing. That is awesome. What a cool kid. <laughs> 
I know. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I love it. Podcast or music? Uh, Podcast, probably. Yeah. What's your favorite podcast? Terrible things for asking is my number one. And then we just know I'm McInerney. And then um, I've also been liking We Can Do Hard Things or Hard Things. Glennon Doyle. She just started a podcast. Um, and then Chatty Broads. They're just silly. They talk a lot of Bachelor stuff, but they also talk a lot of other stuff. And they're just fascinating people. I, I sometimes, there's a couple other podcasts that I like that that are people that are way more extreme than me, like probably have pretty different worldviews than me, but I just enjoy that. Like I enjoy sitting in front of people that are so different than me. And just listening. Yeah. Well, that's the, um, yeah, that's, that's a good quality to have. (laughs) It makes you much more compassionate and it makes you understand what you think even more because you actually have something to compare it to. We're not just parents repeating what someone told us. So. For sure. Also like opening my eyes and and being like, oh, maybe I don't actually think this thing. I actually agree more with that. You know, I don't know. Just like giving other opportunities. Exactly. Love it. Love that. Books or movies? Depends. I probably, I mean, I probably watch movies and I do read books. I have not read a physical book in I don't know how long, probably since I started. I've probably read five books, like a physical book (laughs) since I started weaving. I listen to books. I listen to Audible. I fly through those. Um, but rarely do I sit down and read a physical book. I think I like myself better when I'm on more of a book kick. <laughs> um, like, I prefer listening to an audiobook over watching a movie while I weave. Yeah. It just does something different. Um, it also, if it is like a book that has been made into a movie, I almost always prefer the book. I just. Me too. I just do. Yeah. I just think that it's probably better for the story to yeah. have included all the details. You can do that in a book and you can't do that in a movie all the time. And listening to a book, in my opinion, is, is I mean, it's just, just as quality as reading a physical book. I really, I, I, I think it's just how you take in the information. And I'm like you, if I'm busy or if I'm driving, especially periods of my life when I spent lots of time in the car, I will listen to audiobooks like all the time. Mm-hmm. But the narrator, especially if you can find like a series with a really good narrator so that you can get those characters in yeah. your brain is uh that's the best. That's the best. Yeah. My favorite series ever. Um well actually I guess there's two series by the same author, but um Pillars of the Earth by Kim Follett. Have you ever read that one mm, or heard of that one? I haven't. So he's got that one and then he's got the the Century Trilogy, but they have the same narrator and this narrator does a fantastic job. And, um, and yeah, and like, and they were super long books to the point that like, had I picked up a physical copy, I probably would have been so intimidated by the size. I wouldn't have gotten very far, but Mm -hmm. listening to it, it's like, well, whatever. I mean, you know, if it takes me two or three weeks or four weeks, what difference does it make? You know? Totally. Um, so, if anything, yeah. it's like the longer the better. Great. That's yeah, I know. I that much so time good. that I don't have to find something else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I'm all about audiobooks. I don't think that that like belittles the experience at all. So thank you. I appreciate that. So finally, 
if you, so if you have like all the time in the world, all the money in the world, if, if none of those resources were of any consequence, where would you go tomorrow? Where would I go tomorrow? I would go, probably go to Australia. Um, just because it's a place that I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford it in my real life. So in the dream scenario, that's where I'd go. And so many of my favorite weavers live there. Mary and Mimi live there. Mary Maker Studio is there. The Noodle Paris. There's so many. So I'm like, I want to go see those people. And it's beachy and beautiful and nature. Never go. Yes. There are some incredible. It's probably a very basic answer, but it's my answer. <laughs> no, I love it. That's a good answer. There are so many amazing fiber artists in Australia. Um, Hollingsworth, Carrie Hollingsworth. Do you follow her? Do you know who I'm talking about? Used to be antiquate artistry. She does the most incredible, like, weaving slash upholstery pieces where it's like Mm. furniture art that she has added weaving to. And it's gorgeous. (laughs) It's just gorgeous. I'm like, I'm going to try that. But of Mm. course, that's very intimidating. (laughs) I'm going to take this piece of furniture. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. That is that would be something. It's a big rest. <laughs> well, Ashton, thank you so much for being here yeah. with me today and talking all the things, business and family and just, just all the things. I've yeah, thanks for having me. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. Remember to check out the Makers Chat community so you can dive deeper into the conversation. You'll find the link to join in our show notes. Have a beautiful week and we will chat again soon.